I love the conversations that so many of our hosts have had on their shows. Steve and JJ on Trailer Rewind, Ray and Ocean on Silver Linings, even Tommy's short-lived No, No, Wait, Hear Me Out. And so many films they've discussed started out as a book, a play, or even a TV series. Well, now you can support our whole family of podcasts by using our new Originals page to buy the original source material used to inspire films covered on our shows. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these fantastic conversations. It's a wonderful way to support the show. Producing these podcasts week after week require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, try using our originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. It's your one-stop shop for Amazon and Apple links where you can buy the book, play, video game, movie, etc. upon which the movie is based. Original material for trailer rewind movies like If Beale Street Could Talk, The Goldfinch, Aniara, or The Two Faces of January, or Silver Linings movies like Repo Men, which was based on the repossession Mambo. Plus, by using those links to buy books, Amazon and Apple show us a little bit of love, which allows you to support our family of shows with minimal effort. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals. It's a fantastic way to support the show and find a great book to read. That's right. Head over to thenextreel.com slash originals to find your next read and get started today. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash Transistor. Start growing your podcast today. Streaming services are on the rise, and brick-and-mortar video stores are a thing of the past. We have lost that experience of wandering the aisles and stumbling upon a film we've never heard of. We have replaced the familiar face behind the video store counter with an algorithm to recommend films. With more and more content available, it's harder to know what's worth watching and what might be a waste of your time. There are many hidden gems out there waiting to be discovered, and we want to help you find them. This is Trailer Rewind, a podcast where we discuss and review recently forgotten or overlooked films that are now available to stream at home. Yeah. 
This month on Trailer Rewind, we are looking at two films about earthly exiles. In today's episode, we are going to be discussing High Life. We were scum. Trash. Refuse that didn't fit into the system. Until someone had the bright idea of recycling us to serve science. The odds are not in our favor. But when my work is accomplished, when perfection is achieved, then what? Fly away? Dada? I know I look like a witch. You're foxy and you know it. This mission can't turn our shame into some type of glory. I can't do this flying around no more. You lied to us. You knew it. Today is February 18th, 2020, and High Life is available on Amazon Prime and Canopy. So, JJ, High Life was released into four theaters, a whopping four theaters on April 5th, 2019. All four of them? All four of them, April 5th, 2019. <laughs> but it, it grew, it reached its widest release of 146 screens by its third week. So, boom. I think that maybe the, the Pattinson factor, you know, maybe pushed that one out there. Sure. But then it left theaters May 30th and had made just over 2 million with 1.2 million of that from U.S. theaters. That sounds about right. And then just a few weeks later, it was available digitally on June 11th and then on disc July 19th. So, very short time in theaters. I think perhaps maybe the the Pattinson factor was getting people into U.S. theaters. This was director Claire Denis's first English language film from a, a French director. Oh, so okay. that was something of you know trying to break into U.S. cinemas or the, the market out here. I, I I hate to call it a more mainstream <laughs> movie, but <laughs> sure. but speaking of you know whether or not this is a mainstream film, I mean, who do you really think this film is for? Because this was a, a really challenging film for me. Mm. I don't know. I, I would say this is not a film for everyone. Yeah. What are you thinking in terms of, you know, is this a sci-fi film? Is this a, you know, <laughs> who's this, this for? This is a tough one. Yeah. I, you know, I, it, it's it's almost for, you know, if you have to like sci-fi first. Yeah. And then you have to kind of, not only sci-fi, but then sort of the really sort of cultural aspects of different takes on sci-fi. Because this this challenges people in a really in a really new way, which again, it, that, that's not a bad thing in film. That's a wonderful thing in film, but it's really difficult to advocate that someone should just go run out and watch this if they're primarily a sci-fi viewer or if they're a primarily a drama viewer or something that I usually enjoy a lot in films is nonlinear storytelling. That is heavy in this. So if you like that sort of art house nonlinear storytelling in a sci-fi genre, that with a real focus on sociology, psychology, cultural aspects, and you're not comfortable, you're not uncomfortable with really adult themes, yeah. then, uh, wow, that's a whole lot of... <laughs> that's a lot packed in there. That's a lot of parameters, but I think that's what it takes to see High Life. Yeah, I think that's a good summary of the type of film, because I'm trying to think back to the, the trailer, and it's it's sci-fi, it's Robert Pattinson, it's clearly, you know, this exiled in, in outer space, and so you've got the small group of people in isolated, you know, ship and, you know, you're going to deal with some, some human drama there. 
But there are a lot of things that just, I think, are very uncomfortable about this film. And it doesn't pull any punches in in some areas that I think will be unsettling for some people. So I think it's one that if it hits all those spots for you, as you mentioned, then yes, but be cautioned that this is an intense film. And it also, it plays like a foreign film. That's the thing. You mentioned this is Claire Denis' first film uh, in English language. It, It really has a lot of space that you would expect from a foreign film. There's a lot of time for, I I don't know if time for reflection is the right way to say for it, but there's a lot of just kind of letting the story breathe on its own. That, I think, is a certain type of film that some people don't necessarily like, especially if if people are exposed to the sort of Hollywooded American films. So that's something that people should prepare for with this one, too. Yes. So we're we're changing things up. This is the first of this year's, you know, Trailer Rewind, so we're taking things a little bit out of order. So we're going to talk about our rankings and reviews up front to give everybody out there listening a sense of, is this your type of film? Is this, you know, are we going to recommend this to you? Or how does it fall in our own ranking so that you've got a sense of, you know, if this is a film you want to learn more about, whether you're going to go watch it or just listen. If you're intrigued to hear our discussion, we want to give you a little bit of that sense up first. So we're going to get into our our rankings and our reviews. And you can find us online at Letterboxd and Flickchart. I am Mr. Underscore Steve on both Flickchart and Letterboxd. JJ, where could uh, listeners find you on Letterboxd and Flickchart? Well, I don't actually review on Letterboxd, but if you go to Flickchart, I'm a big fan of the stack rankings there. So I am flickchart.com slash Justin Yeager. That's J-U-S-T-I-N-J-A-E-G-E-R. And all of my movies from both the film board and here are ranked at Flickchart there. All right. So where did High Life end up on your Flickchart? Well, it ended up pretty low. Okay. You know, and I don't, and it, it's weird to talk about the rankings first. So this is, this is a new thing for us, but I don't think High Life is a bad movie. I want to say that right away. It didn't end up low on my flick chart because it's bad. I think it's it's tough. It's a tough movie, and it's something that you're going to be, no matter what kind of thing you're going for, you're going to be challenged in this movie. And I just didn't particularly like the ways that it challenged me. I didn't have a lot of enjoyment with the film. So it ended up pretty low. For me, it's 216 out of 225. So that's really like on my bottom page all the way down. But that being said, I wouldn't give it a super low ranking. It, that would show it up, you know, with the algorithm as something like one or one and a half stars. I'd actually give it a two stars. It's just something that I, it kept coming up against things and I just couldn't say that I liked it more than these other things. So for me, High Life 216, it's between The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 1, the first of the two, and it's just below that and then just above The Magnificent Seven from Antoine Fuqua. So um, pretty low, but I still give it two stars and a, and a not like for me. Okay. That's really interesting because I had the same reaction to this and it ended up oh, very okay. low on my list. It's 468 out of 520. It's right in between. <laughs> this is such a strange place to end up. Just above Jurassic World and just below Spectre. Wow, that is strange. So in between two, yeah, very odd place. But I also, the algorithm said it should be like half a star. And I I gave this two stars as well. I believe my reaction was similar to yours. This was a challenging movie. I didn't consider this an enjoyable experience, but there are parts of it that worked very well for me. But as a whole, I did not come out on the other end of this with a lot of positive feelings about my viewing experience. And I think that's why it ended up where it did. So what's very interesting about this is it has a weighted average review on Letterboxd of 3.4 stars. And that's based on just over 40,000 reviews. Over at Flickchart, it's been ranked a lot less, only 2,500 times. Oh. But four people 
Four people have it in their top 20. Wow. That's interesting. Yes. I want to know who those four people are. Yeah. If you're listening, have conversation. please message us because that's the thing. We want to hear, I mean, honestly, just from both of what we said about the way that we score this movie, yeah. those are some people that appreciate some high art and I would love to hear their take on this movie yes. because it it didn't, I, I, I'm smart enough to know that it's not bad and that it doesn't connect with me, but I really want to hear how it connects with other people because- when we start getting into uh, the depth of our review here, you'll start to hear where some of the gaps are for me and I assume for both of us. Right. So I, I think for some of our listeners, it may not be a film for us, but clearly there are four people out there that think very highly of this film. And based on sort of the general sense of what we've given, some of you may want to go out and watch this movie. It's available on Amazon Prime or Canopy. So if this is your type of film and you don't want anything spoiled, this is your chance to pause the podcast, check it out. For those of you, you feel like this isn't your film, feel free to just listen in on the discussion, continue listening and, and hear why we think this is such a challenging film and why it ended in such an unusual place on our ratings and rankings. Okay, so you've either paused and watched High Life, or you're just a brave soul that wants to hear our discussion and in-depth analysis of what I think is has some of the most disturbing sequences I've seen in quite some time. Or, or do I say chal- challenging? So Challenging. So I think if you do a Google... Well, there you can say disturbing. I think if you're disturbed, I mean, it's your emotions. You you, you say what you want. Okay. Well, there's a... I was disturbed too, Steve. And if you do, <laughs> if you do a Google search, and a lot of the press around this movie and even on like IMDb, a lot of the comments, you're going to hear a lot of things about just the very explicit and graphic sexual scenes in this movie. And that's something that's very confrontational. I have other issues with the movie, but those I think are the ones that people are going to gravitate to right from the get-go because we have a rape that happens. We have a for lack of a better, what is it? The masturbation box scene where we've got our... Yeah, they call it something else, but yeah, the grind the box grind, or Yes, it's, yes. And so there's a lot of time spent in a, you know, there with someone in, in the box pleasuring themselves. And it's, but it's done in a way that's not erotic or arousing. It's just a, I guess the approach would be, this is a mechanical function of the body that someone is going through. I actually find it kind of horrible. Well, yes. And that's, I mean, it... You know what it reminded me of? It, it reminded me of the scene in Jacob's Ladder, and it might have been one of the cutscenes in Jacob's Ladder where he's on the dance floor and he slowly gets sort of oh yeah this sort of fictional creature. This this felt like that because of the way it was shot. Right, right. You didn't see really what was happening. You just saw the sort of primal release of the woman of the Doctor. Yeah, and it just woof. it was heavy. It was tough. It was it tough was to tough. Watch. Yeah, it's, and I'm a fan of Juliette Binoche, and that's not something I wanted. I I didn't want to experience that with her. It was not something I was wanting to. To say, oh, we have this shared memory of this. No, I, that's not, not what I high want. Life, high art. <laughs> yes. Steve, high art. High art. So, the, I mean, the, the general story of this, you know, I think we should get into. I have, there's structural issues with this in terms of keeping track of where we are in time. But there's one scene about 20 minutes in that just really threw me for the, because we're, we're, we've got kids on earth and there's a dog and then we're in outer space with Robert Pattinson and there's a baby. But then at about 25 minutes, we get this scene on a train. Kali Yuga, the final, the final age of man. Did you know that I still have leopards on the street where I live? Professor, I'm surprised you've accepted an invitation to attend a conference in such a cold country. What made you leave your Assamese hills and say yes? 
curiosity. But you have a more serious reason for coming, don't you? Yes. Yes, indeed. Radical experiments are taking place in outer space. Death row inmates are selected to be used as guinea pigs. Is this really how Occidental governmental authorities hope to deal with criminals? I doubt very much. I mean, they're not being told the truth about... About what? That they will never come back. We can't even contact them. Their messages and reports now take years to get back to us. We'll be bone dust while they're still hurtling through space. So that's our scene on the train. And for me, that was just such a like blatant drop in of like exposition to have these two characters. It's an interview situation, but it's basically there to have this person explain what's going on in outer space. Yeah. Every other moment in this film is we're really with... There's no exposition. I mean, there's so little exposition in this movie. That's the only piece. I mean, really might literally be the only piece. There may be a couple other things about the experiments yeah. going on, but that there's just not very much exposition at all. Right. And I thought, is there not a better way to have, and I guess it's because they're not aware of it. We have to have somebody from outside the system comment on it. I don't know. I mean, and I don't usually need exposition. I, I'm, I'm usually happy with this, but I feel like the story wasn't revealed in a very uh, sort of put together way. So I don't know if they felt yes. they needed this. I think this is just another one of those sort of disjointed steps to sort of clue someone into the story. And again, it, it's story adjacent, right? Because it's the interview that's happening on the train. So again, it, I think it only lends or is another indication of the kind of disjointed jumps that we take throughout this entire film. Yeah. I mean, we start with Robert Pattinson and the baby, and it's clear that it's just the two of them, Monty and, and Willow, and they're you know the only people alive on this ship. We get a few little flashbacks to, you know, young children on Earth, but really it's a good, I want to say it's like 15 minutes. And then when he dumps the rest of the bodies out into space, it, whatever, like 15 minutes or so, we, that we actually get like the title of the movie. Yep. I mean, there's, there's no opening credits or anything. We sort of jump in and it's a significant amount of time. And I thought, okay, why that long? Is, is that the setup of the movie of, okay, we're going to get that. And now that we've got titles, we're going to move into more of the story. It wasn't any of those things. It was just an artful choice. Uh, you know, okay. I, yeah. I feel like it was maybe overture, right? I mean, yes, that's all it was. It wasn't meant to be really much of what's going on other than here's present time and here's your title card. <laughs> you know, I, I <laughs> and there's 15 minutes of kind of, confusing and uh, non-expository uh, present time. And then all of a sudden the movie starts. So I don't know. It's it's a scene setter, but it's it's confusing. But it's not even present time. Oh, yeah. By the time we get later on, we You're get right. to later on when when Willow is now like a teenager, which caught me off guard for a second because I'm like, who who's the... Oh, okay, that's Willow. Okay. Right. There we are, but now we're we're in like the last third of the movie or last quarter of the movie by the time we get to actually present, I think, because we've got... Well, they give you a flash of her early, but it's literally what, yes. three seconds on screen. I mean, it's not long at all. And then we don't come back to her as a teen until, like you said, that last third of the movie. So it's... Right. 
Again, that nonlinear storytelling, it's beautiful and a difficult <laughs> animal to contain in this one. So, so with the nonlinear story, we get Monty and Willow as a baby and they're just struggling to survive. And he's, you know, courting, you know, his little transmissions to send back to reset the system. So clearly somebody has to record something to reset the system every, every so often. But then we get all these flashbacks to the other members of the crew and uh, Juliette Binoche's character, Dibs, who's like the doctor or medic on board there and we slowly learn that it, there's an experiment going on like fertility experiments of you know can women get pregnant and bring a baby full term in outer space did they explain that though is that what the experiment was that's all i can assume because i mean she's obsessed with trying to get one of these women pregnant right. for some reason and, and she's a doctor we find out though that everybody is basically a prisoner i guess of some sort because she what she killed her husband and kids or something you know so everybody's done something wrong so this was the here we've got some disposable people let's put them on this ship shoot them out into space on this endless mission and they've got this experiment to basically occupy their time but as we go back to our discussion about that exposition piece of they're just cast off into space. They're never coming back. Their transmissions are taking longer and longer. It's just we're, we're dumping people into space and we're giving them the illusion of something to be productive about so that they have, I guess, meaning and purpose. Well, that record your report thing just to keep the thing going is a genius way to keep people who are have no reason to go on. Right. It's devastatingly, I mean, it's just, it's emotionally draining to watch them go through and have to pass the baton to different people oh, yes. and make their reports just to have their life their life sustaining functions continue. It it was wow. It's a interesting creation from whoever wrote this film for sure. That's yeah. the vast bulk of the story as them trying to in live day to day when we've got people of questionable morals. I mean, I think Monty is given a few choices that he makes and I, I sort of feel it's like the how do we redeem him, make him a you know, a worthwhile character, knowing that everybody made some bad decisions in the past, but he you know, chooses not to go in the box. He's sort of, well, they nickname him like the monk or something because he sort of abstains from that self-gratification and there's certain things that he's very concerned about, you know, purity of things. So he's made some choices at some point. We don't get a lot of explanation or reasoning of, of why, but he's done a few things that sets himself apart from everybody else. And I think that's has to be done because, you know, why is he the one out of this entire crew that's that's going to survive to the point where it's just he and Willow at the end? Why is he the redeeming character? Well, he's taken steps to sort of make amends, I guess, for his past transgressions. I guess. I mean, that's... I'm. I'm scrambling to pull this together to try to figure out why, <laughs> because I, I have to try to make sense of this, and maybe that maybe I shouldn't. Yeah, well, maybe those four people who love it so much are not trying to make, make sense of it. They're just trying to enjoy it for the art piece that it really is. Right. Well, so th And that gets to the end of the... Well, so they're, they're traveling along, and there was one moment that it's very short, and it, it, it's where we get a little break from the insanity and violence and everything else where there's just this quiet reflective moment where everybody is staring up out of the, the big view window. And that's where we get a little bit of like philosophy. At 99% at the speed of light, the entire sky converged before our eyes. The sensation moving backwards, even though we're moving forwards, getting further from what's getting nearer. 
sometimes I just can't stand it. And this whole concept of like, they're moving forward at the speed of light, but it looks like they're going backwards. I mean, there was something just, I loved the visuals of the stars sort of, you know, shaping into a sphere. I wanted more of that in this movie. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that makes sense. That's the sci-fi stuff, I guess, I wanted. Right, but that's... And you wanted to personalize his experience. Yes. But I don't think that's really what this movie is no. about. This is definitely a third-person yes. view of some really intense things that are happening to people who, you know, some people would say have deserved it. That's why they're there. Other people would say that, you know, it's sort of criminalized hero because they're changing around in there. But, you know, and this... I, I said whoever wrote this. Claire Denis actually wrote this as well. So, I mean, this is the thing. It's... It's the creative vision of both the writer and the director here to show you something. And I don't think it's easy to get in the perspective of any of these characters. No. And I feel like there's breadcrumbs along the way. And I, I just can't connect them because even, you know, so we know that Monty is there because he, he did something he like killed a friend over. It was something about his dog or there was something. Uh, his dog died and he blamed. Right. The girl. So, and again, the movie didn't tell me this. I'm guessing. Right, you're, you're guessing. So then when, it's he in the more teenage willow, and they, they're sort of hovering on the edge of this black hole, and then another ship shows up. Right. There was an interesting suspenseful moment as going in the ship, seeing what's happened to the crew on their ship. What are the conditions going to be like on this other ship? And it's all these dogs. It's like these wild, feral dogs. And I thought, okay, we're bringing the dogs back. It's a theme for Monty. You know, what, what is this telling us about his character? Because you clearly chose dogs for a reason. And it's tied to why he's been with this exile. I don't understand. I, I don't know what I'm supposed to take away from that. Have you seen The Favorite? Yes. Yorgos Lanthimos, The Favorite? Oh, yeah, yeah. So at the end of The Favorite, when the last scene is uh, Olivia Coleman and then surrounded by the sort of images of rabbit Right, bunnies, yes, yes. That was very artful, and I totally didn't understand it. And there's lots of different ways you can do that. Right. Uh, but I really liked that movie. Now, this one... There's something very artful about being tortured by the thing that haunts you most in its sort of showing up and the only thing there is a whole bunch of dogs. But I also don't get it. <laughs> okay. Because I was somewhere else in the story. Yes. I don't know. That's what it made me think of, that, you know, there's something about this animal symbolism that I'm supposed to get. But I just, uh, I was too disturbed. I was too disturbed by the majority of this film. Exactly. And then we get, I mean... There's just so much violence. I mean, there's... it's And it's really, it's not graphic violence. It's no, very but brutal it, violence. It's the kind of, it's very realistic. It's yes. the kind of stuff that you would see and witness, not the sort of Hollywooded up, like really sort of gory stuff. And that that's sometimes even harder to take, really, when you watch it on screen. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because we've got the, the one crew member who's supposed to pilot the little shuttle craft to the, to the black hole for, for whatever reason. And then she gets, what, like a hammer to the head or some, some tool to the head and that's pretty brutal and then we get Mia Goth's character who then hops into the ship in her place and then takes it towards the black hole and ends up just getting the Indiana Jones Ark of the Covenant treatment yeah, I mean, yeah it's just like melted face Ooh. yes it's that smashing it's the uh, I, as I was looking into you know reviews and articles about this it's the what happens as you get near to a black hole it's called the spaghettification you get stretched out like <laughs> spaghetti basically because as you get pulled closer then it just, it just you get stretched out so that's basically what that it's what people are saying that's what that's supposed to show is as she gets stretched out yeah her body just gets crushed and compressed and stretched terrible. out that's yeah horrible horrible way to die yeah it's there's that so you've got the disturbing things of that you've got dibs the doctor juliet binoche who 
what drugs everybody to make them really like sleepy, then like non-consensual. So I guess she rapes, you know, Monty to Correct. collect his his sperm to go implant. Yeah, it's just not anything I signed up for. Nope. So nope. And that's the thing. These are artful points that they're trying to make about life and about are they survival? <laughs> are and they? well, they have to be right. I mean, maybe it's a point about something. I, I I'm not smart enough to get it, but it's there. I mean, well, yeah. There's four people that really, really please. Four people come and explain right. to me. I want to know. I don't want to feel uh, left out on this thing. Because I feel like it right now. Right. So so if we set aside plot story and all of that and look at just technical filmmaking things, is one of the things you always bring is sort of looking at camera, how things were shot. And I always intrigued to, to find out what, if there are any particular shots that, that stand out to you that you just thought, wow, that was really beautiful or wow, that was a really complex shot. Was there anything in this one that fit into that category for you visually? Well, I will say it's it's shot in a very different way than you're used to science fiction. And I think that's kind of why I'm really choosing to say that there's points here that I'm not getting. It really focuses on the human experience of living in that sort of sci-fi in this, in this world that cannot be explained. So the stuff that really sort of focused on the people, I thought was really interesting, particularly the whole sequence that you mentioned earlier when he's lifting and taking out the bodies yeah, of the people. So this is just before the title card, about 15 minutes in, and you haven't met any of these people. And you're just, right. and the camera is just agonizingly part of this human experience of lifting and releasing and all this stuff. I thought, I thought that was, it, it was just shot. It, it almost felt like it was reality TV. And I say that remarkably because that's something you don't get from these movies too often. And I think that that, again, it's probably some of the enjoyment for some of the others in this. I come to a sci-fi movie and expect to see something that's technologically advanced or something that, you know, is artful in a way that we haven't experienced before. This kind of went the other way. It took a humanistic approach to something that was futuristic. I think that's interesting. Again, it, it wasn't enough for me to take me out of the disturbing imagery. Yeah, it felt very gritty. I mean, the, even the concept of the, the ship they're in is just a big box right. because in outer space. There's no, you don't have to worry about aerodynamics if it's just in, a box in space just being propelled forward towards some black hole. There's enough science to this, and that's that's the thing that I did appreciate was knowing that as they get to a black hole, the way time shifts, and he's looking at because they he's out there, you know, he's only aged maybe maybe thirty years or so. Sure. You know, he's starting to get some gray hair, but what two hundred and something years have passed, so you get that whole yeah. time works differently near a black hole thing, which you know anybody that's seen Interstellar, you know about that. Sure. So I, I appreciated those pieces of the science fiction of it, but I thought. The science, well, the science fiction that I like uses that as a mechanism for for telling us something about human nature or society. And I thought we have a unique opportunity with here's these people that made some type of poor choice or, or have no moral compass in the case of, of one of them, I think. And we we put them in a, a ship in a confined space and they have to they have to live with each other. They have to find a way to make things work. And rely on each other. But we don't get that. No. And that's, I think, where things fell apart for me in this one the most was just they live for a certain amount of time and then things degrades into, you know, and I guess maybe that's the commentary is bad people can't change with the exception of Monty. I mean, even when he's dumping the bodies in space, he puts them in a suit, in a space suit first, and then, you know, almost like respectfully like burying them. 
again, one more way of sort of having to redeem his character, but everybody else is just horrible people or they've, they've given up on themselves or life and it just was not a rewarding experience. And I think there are ways to do that that can be a more enjoyable movie going experience and going along with that story. But for me, they're just, I guess there was in space, it's all darkness and there was nothing, there was very little light in this film. There was nothing redeeming for these characters. That's where it gets really interesting, right? Because the one thing that shows me that we aren't getting something that was trying to be delivered in this film is that the final credits roll to a song called Willow. Yes. Sung by Robert Pattinson. Yes. Right? So that there's got to be something about their relationship that's really supposed to be revealed or explained or something, or maybe it is being explained in that very moment. It's just, again, I didn't get it. That's the light, right? That's supposed to be the thing that's supposed to bring us through this is that surviving for maybe for a child maybe for right. your child i don't know but i th- it was hard for me because i didn't get that and so it actually felt jarring when i heard robert pattinson singing that at the end too yes that's the the puzzling thing about the end is what happens to them because it is it's about this father and daughter he accepts responsibility for for raising her but at the end it's the they go in the ship, they go towards the black hole, then they're, I don't know, outside the ship. And then, you know, there's the, as we get the sort of the way light bends and everything, you know, it's, they're sort of there looking sure. at like the event horizon of the black hole. And then it's like what he puts out his hand to her. And it's like, he says something like, shall we? And it's like, they're going to walk into the black hole together. But is that metaphorical? Is that as an imagination? Is that literally what happened? I don't know. And to me, it shouldn't matter if I get the sense of what that's telling me about the characters. Because then I could say, well, yes, that literally right. happened. I know this is a metaphor for their relationship. And it's like, okay, so they're walking into... If there's some emotion that's being conveyed, I don't need to know what's really happening. But I was lost. So that was really difficult. That's a, Yeah, I really want to hear what people's take on that because is. Because sure. as a father of a daughter, usually I can, I can pull something together from these. But I, I don't know what... There wasn't enough about their relationship because it's Willow as a baby and then Willow as a teen. And it's sort of the the front and end of the film with everything nasty in the middle and not enough about who they are, what their relationship is, how they've survived, what conflicts they've had, what the nature of their bond is. Yeah, And I guess when you end a film with a father and daughter taking steps towards something together, I, I guess I felt like I was owed or wanted more of Who are they and what does this mean for them? And I had no sense of what it meant for them. And that's ultimately why this was a disappointing story for me to to sit through. So Me too. Me too. So in researching this film, I did come across some interesting sort of trivia, did you know type of things. And this was back in 2014, artist Olafur Eliasson and the director Claire Denis met and discussed their fascination with things that haven't been explained by science, like black holes. And the result was a short film by Claire Denis, which were basically tests for that whole lighting effect of that yellow gold band of light. And so there's a short film, and I'll include a link in the show notes to that. But also, there was a whole exhibition of his artwork, there's a, a sort of a, it's almost like a video walking tour of this exhibit and the different pieces that have to do with light and bending and perspective. That's also on Vimeo. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to that. It didn't enlighten me anymore as to what the movie High Life was trying to do, but it did show me some of the origins of the visuals. 
in there. So I found that intriguing. So if people are interested, I will have those in the show notes. That's great. So from here, we're going to be going into our next movie about exiles in space. And we're going to look at Aniara, which is the story of a spaceship that is transporting people from Earth to Mars. The ship ends up off course. The crew and passengers must face the possibility of never returning. And it's available right now on Hulu. So JJ, on our next episode, I'm looking forward to another episode of being stranded in space with you. Bring the light. We trust in the light. Bring the light back. (laughs) We will discuss, is there light in space? Thank you for listening to Trailer Rewind. If anything we said here entertained, educated, or even enraged you, we'd like you to tell people about this podcast. Whatever your listening platform is, please share, rate, or write a short review. It helps other podcast listeners find us. If you enjoy connecting with other film fans, you can become a member of our community on Discord. It's free, and there's always an interesting dialogue or debate to jump into. You can also financially support us on Patreon. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive Discord channels, the opportunity to chat with us live before we record an episode, and the warm feeling you get knowing you are contributing support to the behind-the-scenes resources that help everyone here at the Next Real Family of Podcasts. So please, join us on Discord or become a Patreon supporter. Either way, we would love to have you be part of our community. Hondo. Andy, according to my friend, Internet, this is what Letterboxd is. Letterboxd is a global social network for grassroots film discussion and discovery. Use it as a diary to record and share your opinion about films as you watch them, or just keep track of films you've seen in the past. Showcase your favorites on your profile page. That is a lot. You bet it is. That's why I want you to tell our fair listeners just one thing you do with Letterboxd that has changed the way you watch movies. Let them have it. Okay, are you ready for this? So ready. I love lists. As of today, I have 246 lists in my account. I use them to track the movies I watch, organize them in all sorts of different ways. I track them by hand. I clone lists from other people. I use them to plan what I'm going to be watching. All sorts of things. I just, I love creating lists. It's a fantastic tool. Sexiest animated characters. Andy, what is this? We love Letterboxd. And if you're a movie lover, we are sure you will too. And when you upgrade from the free account, you will remove ads and support the great Kiwi team building this amazing service. Just use the discount code NEXTREEL or visit thenextreel.com slash letterboxd to get 20% off your pro or patron membership. And it works for renewals as well.